Welcome everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. The visibility factor is brought to you in part by the Choose Your Life Challenge. Do you feel like it's too late to do something new? You have a good life and your basic needs are met. You have a place to live, a job that provides enough, and friends and family to share it with. But it's all passing by so quickly, and it feels like you're running out of time to do the things you wanted to do. Join Danielle McCombs and Christy Allinger, co-hosts of the Opposite of Small Talk podcast, in a 30-day interactive experience that helps you to live a more intentional life. Through a combination of live sessions, video coaching, and digital social interaction, you will be guided through a series of ideas to explore your mindset and gain confidence to live the life you want. Sign up today by visiting theoppositeofsmalltalk.com forward slash challenge. Use promo code challenge4 for a 20% discount. That's theoppositeofsmalltalk.com forward slash challenge and promo code challenge4. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Visibility Factor podcast. This is Sue Barber, and I am beyond thrilled today to have my guest, Susie DeVille, here. Now, you may have heard her in episode five. She was actually on, and we were talking about this book that she had written and was ready to come out soon. Well, that book has actually come out now as of this week, and I am so thrilled to have her with me. So let me introduce Susie DeVille to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, so let's talk all about you and your book and what's going on for you since you were on the show last. Well, sure. So um, I am Susie DeVille, founder and CEO of the Innovation and Creativity Institute. And I help entrepreneurs work lighter while making higher profits by tapping into their innate creativity. And the book you've referenced is called Buoyant, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Becoming Wildly Successful, Creative, and Free. And this book is for the painfully stuck entrepreneur who is riddled with self-doubt, who believes the cultural story that in order for us to have success and freedom, we have to work harder, amp up our productivity, and have more discipline. And what they may not know is that the easier path is through accessing their unbridled, inspired creativity. And so I am championing the um, no more hustle and grind uh, ethos. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody wants that at this point anyway. Love, love, love it. So I just got my books yesterday, actually. They they arrived, and I'm so excited to share them with friends. What has the experience been like for you to launch a book? I have been through about 100 emotions since Monday of this week, mm-hmm. and they have all been just 
overwhelmingly positive for the most part. But then I will admit to, to having anxiety in the mix as well, because I, when I launched the book, I sort of felt like I was taking my firstborn to school and I was worried you know, wondering, you know, is this young thing going to make friends? <laughs> is it going to be loved by its classmates? Um, when I launched it, I had that trepidation and I have had so many lovely comments from people who are telling me um, I'm devouring the book. I'm halfway through. I've already finished or it's already changing my life. And I'm just completely bowled over. So it's been lovely. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy for you. I just. Thank this, you. Uh, I For all the listeners, I was lucky enough to be a pre-reader of her book and I just couldn't put it down. I found it to be extremely helpful for me from a creativity standpoint. I, I told her I felt like she gave me a permission slip to be creative again because I had locked that away for for many, many years because in my head, I can't draw at all. <laughs> you know, I'm just not good at painting. I'm not good at anything, right? I just had told myself that, you know, probably because others told me that along the way. And I adopted that story. And so what I loved about you know, just her book, and I also took her class, was that I felt like she unlocked that for me. Is that kind of the experience that you're hoping people will have? 1,000%. And your story is incredibly common. It is also my story, too. And I also believed that the words art, artist, creativity, applied to this special group of people who were anointed at birth with special skills. <laughs> and it, it meant that you could draw something that looked like the item that you were drawing. And it didn't have a definition beyond that. So, of course, there's so many other ways to be creative. And what I love about the exercises in the book is that I... I challenge someone <laughs> to, to do these exercises and not believe that they are creative and an artist by the end of the book. Um, and as you found out in the class, um, you surprised yourself. You surprised your son. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> when he saw your work. Um, oh, you did that. Um, so it's in all of us and it's in us in this incredible swirling force of potentiality that if we start to tap into it, it's almost like a geyser of a force that comes out of us. And once we get started, we keep going. But if we dam it up and we push it down and we ignore it, as Brene Brown says, it's not a benign thing. It is actually a toxic thing for us mm -hmm. to, to keep it unexpressed. So the release of that into the world has so many interesting and powerful ripple effects in your personal life and in your business in ways that just surprise people over and over again. Well, I can definitely attest to that. You know, the thing that I thought you did an excellent job of, if we can just talk about the class for a second, the thing that I thought you did an excellent job of was 
forcing us to do something in a very small window of time. Meaning like you have five minutes to do this, see what you can do. And I think because you only have five minutes, you don't have time to think. You don't have time to overthink (laughs) and make it too complex because you've only got five minutes. And it was so amazing to see what everyone could create in even five minutes. Is that something you found for yourself too? Like you had to speed things up? Yes. Um, As a person who ruminates rather um, (laughs) extensively, uh, when feeling um, lesser than or lacking confidence, um, that panic before you get started is the um, giant buzzkill on the effervescence of taking bold action. It's the opposite of that, right? Because you're hanging off on the sidelines, rubbing your chin, wondering if you've got what it takes. So if I completely make all of that time condensed down into what seems impossible, your brain just goes into go mode and you don't start second guessing yourself. Once you unleash that first bold mark and you go, okay, we're off and going. Um, no turning back now. <laughs> the mark is on the page. And that then has this snowball effect of energy that cycles back into your brain and says, do another one. Try it again. What else have you got? And then your intuition cozies up to the party and says, hmm, how about trying this? Now you're tapping into a part of the brain that most of us have let grow a little dim or a little dusty because we have intuitive hits all the time, but we routinely typically ignore them or override them. So when you're going into this uh, work um, with a pencil or a brush or a marker or a crayon even, and you're not thinking, you're just taking that bold, bold action it has this lovely way to deflate self-doubt and put you on the path of not worrying about perfectionism, not trying to um, overachieve. You're just in the moment. You're in the flow of it. And it feels so good to be in that physiological and emotional state. 100%. And, you know, and I talk about in my book about you know, not wanting to take Brene Brown's class because it required an art journal. And I was so scared to even create an art journal. And it was for no one but me, which is the funniest part about that. And I realized through that experience of how, and I still have it and I love it, of it's actually better than I ever thought it could be. And I'm so glad that I opened up enough to do that. And I think the same thing with your course, I felt like, huh, you know what? This is another way that I have been invisible. I've been hiding this side of myself, telling myself a story that I'm not creative, that I can't do these things. And now that that is opened up, it's so exciting, right? It's like this whole big thing you just have not explored throughout your life. And I agree with you in terms of like the, almost like the imposter syndrome stories that you're telling yourself and letting that go, and realizing you don't have to be perfect at this. It can be messy and it can be mistake-filled <laughs> and it's still beautiful in its own way. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting to me that if you reverse engineer the state of being stuck or blocked um, or even burned out, overwhelmed, you can trace it back to imposter syndrome, this whole notion of I'm not good enough or I don't have what it takes. And when you're in that state, what comes next, of course, is that you believe everything that you do has to be perfect, which, Mm -hmm. of course, completely robs you of your imagination and your ideation and fosters pessimism. You know, you're, you're not willing to do the thing in your business that is calling to your heart that very well may make all the difference in your revenue as well as your enjoyment um, and connection to your, to your customers and clients. Then you get into this place of being paralyzed and, and worried about being judged. And so that self-doubt then makes you think, okay, I can work my way out of this funky state. So you get on the gerbil wheel <laughs> and you try to, you try to just li- almost punishing yourself to, to get out of self-doubt by taking on too many things, um, which of course completely, completely burns you out. So when art making comes into the picture, coupled with taking inspired action, and I always recommend what I call the five M's, which are morning pages, meditation, movement, moments of inspired learning, and making something. And morning pages, if you're not familiar, are three pages of longhand journaling that are the brainchild of Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way. And it's a great way to empty out your brain and settle yourself before your day gets started. And it's very much like a meditative state and um, uh, calms you down and really centers you in a way that liberates your, your clarity and your confidence going into the day. And movement does the same thing. Moments of inspired learning does the same thing. But when you get into that last M, the one that everybody resists, <laughs> the one that everybody fights me on, making something, what? How is that going to help me with my business? How is that going to amp up revenue? How is that going to bring my ideal market to me? And as we, we saw in the Sketchbook Entrepreneur Masterclass, we saw people having business breakthroughs left and right through this act of, of making something. And it's not only a beautiful path to success in your business, but it's so much fun <laughs> and um, rewarding because this has come through you and it gives you new insights into what you love and to what brings you alive which directs you into things that open up your awareness and your insights in new ways. Yeah, I think it just brings up all kinds of possibilities, right? Nothing is off the table. And I think that's what I loved about it is moving all these colors together and creating new things and using masking tape, (laughs) you know, just (laughs) all kinds of stuff to try to make it interesting, unique, and different. Uh, And even the exercise you had us do where we had a little object and we were trying to take pictures 
what did we call that little square hole process? The viewfinder. The viewfinder. Thank you. So we were holding a viewfinder for, let me try to describe this to all the listeners, holding a viewfinder and then taking pictures of things to see what they look like through this tiny viewfinder. And it was fascinating, (laughs) the things that we were all coming back with from the class. It was so cool. And I think it just helped me see, like, there are opportunities to look at things differently every day, right? I think we go through life kind of seeing things in the same way if we choose to. And if we chose a different path, if we saw, maybe I look at it upside down, maybe I look at it from a different perspective, could I solve a problem differently? Could I see a different solution? Could I help someone else, I don't know, understand it differently if I looked at it in a different way? And that's what I took away from that. I'm so glad that you had that experience and that deepening of your awareness because that is precisely what happens. And I added that into the course because I was the champion of running through life with blinders on, <laughs> literally with my head down, like thinking like, what's next? What, what's the next to do that I have to do? I wasn't seeing things that were up. <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't see things that were on the walls. I wouldn't see trees. I wouldn't see clouds. I wouldn't see buildings. I was just like, I, I mean, just this crouched over figure of, productivity. (laughs) And the first time that I was in a sketching course and my teacher, and I have a story about this in the book, my teacher put peaches out on a table for us, for me to draw. And I um, got incredibly emotional because it was the first time in so long, probably since my childhood, that I had studied something so closely and let myself really see its beauty and appreciate it fully. And I was not only emotional because I was seeing something so incredibly lovely, I was also grieving the fact that I had lost so many moments of appreciation up until that point. And I just put an energetic flag in the ground at that moment and said, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna live that way anymore. And That shifted so many things that completely surprised me, one of which was a call that I got shortly after I left that class that was from a client in a negotiation on a real estate deal. And I all of a sudden had boundaries. (laughs) I was like, who is this person? (laughs) Um, I had boundaries. I was turning, I wasn't just a slave to my phone. I was all of a sudden letting this negotiation happen without me. I wasn't trying to over control the outcome. And it's all the issues solve themselves and the deal closed and had a happy ending. And I was just standing there staring at the table thinking, I have I have walked into a whole new universe that I need to exist in. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that. Wow. I mean, I think I had something similar, a little different, um, but something similar where my very last team that I had, I realized how much I had been 
trying to step in too much into what they were doing because I knew their jobs. And that last role I had, I didn't know enough about any of their jobs to be dangerous. And so I just had to let them do it. And I chose to stay, you know, where I should have been all along. But I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you finally got the lesson. <laughs> like, what, what, what is everybody else already figured out? And now you've just figured it out. But it was so amazing. It, your calendars weren't open for thinking time and planning and strategy. You're not trying to control everything. You're letting your people develop and try things. It was a beautiful moment. And then I left the company. So I, 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 I didn't get to jo- enjoy it forever, but it was a lovely moment while I had it, at least. <laughs> well, it's so interesting to me how self-trust has a unique handshake with the ability to delegate with Mm -hmm. trust. Yes. And this process has been fascinating to me because I was absolutely not interested at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) in delegating from a place of trust. I really couldn't do it. I mean, my operations manager used to have to pull, literally pull files out of my hands (laughs) because I was, I was going to over control it. I mean, honestly, um, so when you get to this place where you trust yourself, you start to trust the world and you also slow down and you take the time to fully engage your team in understanding what their roles are and how integral they are to the organization and why their work has meaning. And then you turn them loose. They're fully trained. You've hired incredibly talented people and they go off and over deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just the same phenomenon exists if we stop listening to people's ideas, they stop having them. And if we stop trusting our team members, they stop acting in a trustworthy fashion, right? They stop delivering. And they're, they're waiting for us to come around and sweep up after them, right? So they're not working from a place of excellence. So it's fascinating to me that you can start with something like this last M, the, the making something M, that you can follow all the way to to creating the the team of your of your dreams, um, and a, a position of being in in self trust that you may thought was just out of reach forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we just would listen to ourselves for a change, right? <laughs> Instead of being so yes. busy and ignoring us, uh, all the things that we're telling ourselves. Yes. Okay. So I'd like to go back to the book to some of my favorite parts, if that's okay, and dive a little deeper. So one of my favorite parts that you talk about is cleaning out the boxes in the attic of your mind. I just love the picture of that in my head. I would love to know a little bit more about how you help people do that. Yes. Well, I was in Paris and I was trying to sort out why I still felt off in the place that I loved. You know, how can you be bummed out (laughs) in Paris? Right. (laughs) And I realized I had things that I hadn't dealt with. And so I sat down in this cafe and I got out my journal and I started thinking about, okay, what's, what's up there in the attic of my mind? What, what have I put into boxes and what have I sealed tightly shut that I now need to go digging through? <laughs> and um, 
see what's what's in there. And so I did that, and I started thinking about chunks of time of my life. Um, and I'm a very good compartmentalizer, which serves you really well in some instances and is not necessarily the healthiest thing in others. So I recognized that, okay, I'm going to take every box and open it up and I'm, and I'm not going to tuck things away and into the corners. And I started thinking about, okay, this period of time of my life, what I didn't process, what have I carried with me that is a limiting belief from that time? Or what is a bit of pain that I didn't fully let myself process and I just sort of stuffed it in this box and taped it up. So I pulled everything out in my mind and and I had thought I was going to be looking at this massive, just briary patch of awfulness. And as it turned out, it wasn't that much, which is the way the mind works, of course. The mind always is going to over-exaggerate the... Um, hellishness of something that we're avoiding. So I ended up with this small little box of things. And I thought, okay, now I'm going to deal with what's left here. And in, in the work that I do with my clients, we don't necessarily go to the attic in the same way that I did, but I take them through processes, through exercises, through getting to the thoughts that they're having, that they're believing to be true, that are making them feel bad. And when you have thoughts that are painful, you start to look in the world for evidence that those thoughts are true. And you'll find that evidence. The mind is great at finding that evidence. So my job is to help a client turn those thoughts around and disbelieve them and find things and thoughts that make them feel much better better that they still believe to be true and we root out all the stuff that's not them and we get to their authentic selves and from that place you start looking at the world in a very different way and you start looking for evidence of the lovely and exciting and uplifting things that you believe to be true and of course you find lots and lots of evidence of that because the Mm -hmm. mind is great at finding that So it is a process of leaving the leaden version of yourself, the concrete version of yourself that has believed things its entire life from parents, teachers, peers, etc. Things that have glommed onto you, expectations that have glommed onto you, and um, painful moments in your life that have shaped you. And it's an opportunity to chisel that off and let all of that hit the ground and turn into dust and step out of that forever and step into your fully expressed essential self. And it fills you with a lightness of being and a sense of possibility that I can understand sounds like fairyland magic, (laughs) (laughs) but it happens on a routine basis with my clients. I see it happening, and I take myself through this process because it's not like you graduate 
you know, it's not like you solve something or you, you burn through a limiting belief and you move on and you never have another one again. <laughs> Wouldn't that be um, magical? Though, if the it could mind, be. <laughs> our minds, here's the thing, our brains are designed to send out these fears, these limiting beliefs. They're not going to stop coming. But we get really great at just eliminating them very quickly. We don't let them take a hold of us. We don't believe our thoughts are true. So it does sound like a fantastical, you know, fairyland of, you know, something that's not possible. But it is possible. And it is as learnable as learning a new language. Because you are learning the language of your brain, essentially. Yeah. Um, so I went, when I went to the attic of my mind in Paris, I went through the boxes of limiting beliefs and old moments of pain that I hadn't fully let myself process. And when you step toward the thing that scares you, and believe me, this is not my favorite thing, <laughs> but when you do step toward the thing that scares you, it's like the experience of talking about a bad dream. You're always amazed when, you're say, when you say it aloud. It's like, that sounds kind of ridiculous now that I'm saying, why was I so frightened last night when I was having this bad dream? <laughs> so it's the same kind of phenomenon. Once you turn and face it and walk right toward it, it almost just disintegrates after you've taken a few steps because you see, you see it and you process it. The speed at which we, we can feel and, and experience and release emotions from our bodies um, is surprising to me. It surprises me every time I do it. It surprises my clients every time they do it. Um, so it's a matter of really championing your mind and being aware, being a great observer of your thoughts is essential. So can I stick with this a little bit? Um, I, I'm interested to see. So let's say that, you know, that we come up with some thing in our past that we didn't have any clue is still there and we thought we dealt with and it shows up again. Do you generally recommend that people go through like some specific journaling prompts that you love or something else? Or is it more just continuing to focus on it, continuing to look at it and see what they can see differently about it now that time has passed? Well, the main, the main path out is to get really clear on exactly what the thought is that has you by the tail. And um, there are some incredible geniuses who have done work in this field. Dr. Martha Beck, Byron Katie, and Brooke Castillo, all of whom have written books about how to really dissect and understand the thoughts that you're having and specifically what the syntax of those thoughts are. So let's, let's say that um, you have a thought that I'm, ne I'm just never going to be financially free. And then what happens from there there's almost like a cliff from that thought to I'm going to be living in a van down by the river. 
that that kind of thinking, that kind of specific thought, as a matter of fact, is one of the most common thoughts of, of fear of lack of financial security. And the brain is so interesting in that it will go, it will get going. It's almost like you're pulling a a, a loose thread on a sweater <laughs> and you pull it and then all of a sudden it's like you have a giant hole in the sweater because you go from one tiny thought and the mind is often going and it'll just go to the catastrophic end of that thought. So what you, it's very easy for us to get into this, this rolling, um, recirculating mind. If you can think back on your own experiences where it feels almost like your mind is on a merry-go-round and you just have these looping thoughts that are causing you anxiety. So the, the trick is, okay, I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to really listen and pay attention. What is this thought that's got me? Because it, it will start as one thing, then it'll morph into another thing, and then it'll turn into another thing, and then you're down, you know, living by the river. <laughs> um, so you have to just start writing. It's the best thing, even if it doesn't make sense to you initially, just to get the thoughts out. Let them get on paper and they lose their ability to have a total hold on you. There's still going to be a little briery, but once you start to journal them and get them clear, then you start to be able to have this sense of separation. Okay, these thoughts are not me. This is just coming from my head. This isn't a prescription or a diagnosis or a prognosis of my future. Once you have your thoughts down and you really know which one, you circle the one that's really the thing that's the most painful of them all, then you can start to dissect it and understand that the work is with the thought, not with the circumstance. We are trained to believe the circumstance is the reason why we either feel good or we feel bad. But it's not the circumstance. The middleman or the middle woman is the thought between the circumstance and the feeling. This work, I encourage people to look at Brooke Castillo's um, self-coaching model, which um, really diagrams all of this out. And again, Dr. Martha Beck, and Byron Katie do fabulous work on thought work. But once we get to this place where we can separate ourselves and understand, if I lose my job, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to just automatically feel bad. And of course, that is a natural, could be a natural reaction for some people. But some people may say, free at last, free at last. I get to go do something different that maybe I love to do. So it's, right. it's not the thing that happens in the world or the thing that happens to you. It's our thought about what happens that drives how we feel about it, which then drives the actions that we take and the results that we get. 
Wow. Beautiful explanation. I think everybody is going to be able to start to look at their thoughts in a different way. I, <laughs> I, I definitely didn't do that before I came, became a coach. I didn't understand that that was even a thing you could do. I don't know. Just isn't something, you know, you're taught or anybody even talks about. So I love the explanation. I'm a huge Byron Katie fan. She is one of my favorites. So thank you for sharing those resources too. Okay, the other part I wanted to talk about was the stories of your dad and the journals of your dad and you. And can you just share a little bit about that experience for you? Yes. So uh, my dad was as much of a paper freak as I am. (laughs) And he loved to write down visions, ideas, thoughts about um, products he could either create or find when he went to Asia on buying trips for his customers and his shop. But when he was in the Harvard Business School, he had this little vinyl ring binder journal that he started dreaming and scheming his retail shop. He grew up in Miami, went to college um, at Ohio State, and then ended up at Harvard. And so he wanted to come back. He had visited Highlands as a child, and he wanted to start his business in Highlands, which at that time was unbelievably tiny. (laughs) There were about (laughs) 1,500 year-round residents at that time. But he knew because it was such a beautiful place And he had this vision for what he wanted to create for his retail store. And he started mapping it all out in this book. And and I can't remember what year that was. I'm thinking it was like 1957 or so or eight. Um, He created all that. He just, I mean, all the details down to even how many sales per hour he needed to make. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And so, um, and he knew how he was going to take the investment that he had for for purchasing inventory and how he was going to display it and how he was going to recreate and renovate the front of the building that he had rented. It was all mapped out. Um, And the the logo and the um, branding of, of the entire customer experience was in that book. So I was working at the, the Stone Lantern, which was my dad's shop, one summer, and I was about to go up the steps to go grab a shipping box for a customer, and he had come across this book. <laughs> and he said, hey, you've got to see this book. Do you want to see this journal that I did when I was at the business school? And I was like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see this magical book. So I started flipping through it and I was just amazed at what was in there. I mean, and it was everything that he had put in this book. So this was probably 1986 or so. So um, almost 30 years later, um, you know, from the point that he had created the book and, and I was just, flipping through there that all the things that he had actually created as a result of journaling all of this. And I just was amazed. And so years later, when I was mapping out the creation of a real estate company, 
I got a journal. And by the way, I had no recollection, no conscious recollection of this conversation when I was sitting down to do my own journal, which at that point I think was like 2010. So I'm going through, I'm doing all of this vision work, writing down. I had no money. So I'm thinking about how many sales I need, not per <laughs> hour, but like, like per week. And um, I had all the branding in there. I had all the details. I was going to renovate a, a storefront. I mean, it was eerily similar. So I did launch my business and I had all this clarity and created everything that was in my book. Um, and then after my dad had passed away, I was sitting in the living room and remembered that book. And I was obsessed with finding it. <laughs> so I went to the, the store and I asked my brother-in-law, I was like, do you remember where that journal was, that little brown vinyl book? <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, he said, I don't know, but, you know, there's some things upstairs in this box, there are boxes upstairs and you can go, you know, see if there's anything in there. So I went in there and I dug through everything. And at the bottom of the last box, <laughs> that book was in there and I started looking through it and I was just overwhelmed with how similar, I'm like, it was a part of my cellular makeup and I had not so 1987 to 2010, how many years is that? 23 years. Um, but yet it was a part of me and the power of journaling had become ingrained in me without even my really consciously knowing it. And I encourage everybody, even if you're just grabbing some kind of a spiral notebook from a discount store. Start doing journaling. It and and I don't mean having you know fancy journal prompts or beautiful prose or all the things that we tell ourselves it has to be. But the combination of doing your morning pages, your three pages of, of just um, mind dump on the page. And then visioning out what you want to have happen. Thinking through what would that experience look like? The thing that I love, the thing that has my heart, the thing that I've been dreaming about, what could it possibly be? And it's kind of, here comes some more magic talk, <laughs> but it's kind of spooky how it happens when we're that clear and we set the intention in writing and we have an elevated emotion attached to it, it's almost like it unleashes the supportive, beneficial nature of the world. And things, resources come to us, ideas come to us, connections come to us. Then we're experiencing serendipity. And then all of a sudden, you kind of look up and you're like, that thing that I mapped out six months ago or one year ago, I'm living it. I'm ex I, this is not a dream anymore. I am living this now. So um, the alchemical power of journaling, in my opinion, can 
not be overstated. Oh, I, I just love that story. I'm so glad you shared it because I, I haven't heard you talk about it, but I've definitely read about it. Uh, but I think it, there's just something magical about writing stuff down and kind of starting to talk about it into the universe, right? That it, this is something I want, I can see it. And especially the more, I have always believed, the more clarity you have around something that you want, you know, the universe can help you then. But if you're kind of confused and you're not really sure <laughs> and you keep going back and forth, yes. going back, yeah, it can't help you so much then because you, it doesn't know what to give you. <laughs> There's this little, um, if you're starting out with, trepidation or a little bit of a lack of confidence. And believe me, in 2010, I didn't have (laughs) a thimble full of confidence. (laughs) Um, Everything was a swirling, (laughs) fiery mess in my life. And I experienced this beautiful new wave of confidence and clarity that came after journaling and really mapping out what I wanted to have happen with my business. So it's, it's such a powerful way and it's, and it's costs hardly anything (laughs) to to do it, you know? Um, so don't overthink it. Don't make it complicated. Don't think you've got to have a leather bound special thing and an, and a fountain pen. (laughs) Just go grab a $1 funny little spiral bound notebook and get started. Okay. So I'm going to bring it back to visibility now. Tell me what you think this book, your course, where you are in your career right now is going to do in terms of your own visibility. Well, I can tell you already, (laughs) um, I am definitely wired as an introvert and I love people And I love my solitude. And I'm not naturally wired to go onto a live stream and interview people. I'm not naturally wired to stand up in front of a group of 600 people, have a, (laughs) have a, a, you know, presentate, do a presentation um, or be interviewed on podcasts for that matter. That's just not my natural state. And over the last year, um, I have crawled out of my creative cave, you know, the process of of actually crafting and creating the book and turning into much more of a visible um, uh, creator and um, presenter and sharer of, of what I have in the book. And what has happened as a result of that is that I'm inhabiting my body in a brand new way, which sort of like what we were talking about with this power of journaling and this power of really learning to champion your thoughts, you're signaling something out there to the universe that you're ready for a larger opportunity, right? Because you've now crossed through this membrane of, ooh, that looks scary. I don't want to do it. (laughs) And you're now through the portal and in it, which ignites something. It ignites other people paying attention. It ignites being heard in the marketplace in a new way. And so over the last three days, the 
opportunities and the invitations that I am getting are completely blowing my mind (laughs) Um, in a very, very positive way. And I know that if I hadn't taken those smaller steps beginning a year ago to step out a little bit more, to be more visible, to be more vulnerable in a very public way, I mean, I'm very vulnerable in the book, but see, that's a safer way to do it, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But to be vulnerable and visible in front of a group or in front of how many hundreds of people may be watching you online, that requires a different level of confidence and a different level of um, conviction that what you have to share has value. Mm -hmm. And so the minute that switches on and you step into that level of visibility, there is synchronicity and serendipity visits that come from all over the place that require yet now another level of courage, yet another level of willingness to be vulnerable and visible. And um, I'm now just on the surfboard on top of the waves because I, it, I have no control now over any of this stuff. <laughs> and I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, just tell me where I'm going, what, what we're doing, and I'll do it, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm a little nervous about it, but I, it's more excitement than anything else. And that is honestly a very different state for me. If I were to go back a year ago and someone say, you're, you know, like what people have been telling me this week, I would have been, I would have turned completely white, no blood in my face whatsoever. <laughs> and I would be, you know, crouched in the corner <laughs> going, I don't think I can do that. And now I know I can do it. So if anyone is listening right now who is, um, sort of going through that internal battle of, gosh, I really want to step into my power more. Gosh, I really want to have more exciting things and bigger opportunities in my life. Um, Start small and let yourself build your courage musculature. And I promise you, I mean, I honestly am the person who literally threw up before school every day in the first grade. I was so afraid of everything and everyone. And so if I can do it, I promise you, you can do it too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So beautifully said and very inspiring. Uh, As listeners, I know that I usually go through, you know, my four questions at the end of an episode, but since Susie is a repeat guest, my first one, uh, I wanted to make sure we had plenty of ample opportunity to talk about her book and her class and the great things she's doing in the world. And I don't think any question I could have asked would have been given a better answer than what you just did. So thank you for that. Thank you. Of course. Uh, So I will include all of the information about how to find you and how to link to buy your book. I am so excited for you and just cannot wait to see all the great things that you're going to do. 
And as a person who's slightly ahead of you on the adventure, I promise you that is coming your way because it's definitely coming my way. And every time it does, I just want to pinch myself like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. So I'm eternally grateful every day to AJ Harper, Laura Stone and Top 3 Book Workshop and getting to meet you through there. And I just think we're really lucky and we are changing the world one book, one conversation at a time. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more about the power of A.J. Harper and Laura Stone and the community of creators that they have curated with the Top 3 Book Workshop and how we are um, linking arms to support each other, support our work, and help bring visibility to to all of it. Mm-hmm. And um The legacy of that group, I think, is going to be absolutely breathtaking. I couldn't agree more. Oh, my gosh. That's a great way to say it. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today, Susie. I so appreciate it. And I know you have probably other podcasts to be on today (laughs) or other people to talk to. So thank you for taking the time to join me. I truly do appreciate it. Thank you. It has been such a pleasure and I adore you so much. Thank you. I adore you right back. Well, thank you everybody for joining today. I hope you got a good sense of the book Buoyant and go get it. Go find it right now. You need to read it. I promise you it is going to change your life. Thanks so much for joining and I'll see you on the next. (laughs) I I had a moment. I couldn't remember my own podcast name. Oh my God. Okay. We'll do that in a second. Oh, sorry, Ian. Oh my God. That's so funny. I was like, oh my God, I'm almost at the end. And then I screwed it up. Okay. Anyway, oh, I don't even remember what I was saying. So thank you so much for joining. <laughs> we'll just laugh our way out of the end. Oh my God. I'm sorry, Ian. We're you should little- leave it. Leave it in there. It's so We're good. It's we'll hilarious. Do, we'll do because bloopers. It, leave it in because leave it in because there's that's that just evaporates somebody's fear of being visible. For you to be able to not remember the name of your podcast is hilarious. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm so glad we're not on video for sure. I mean, I am, but you're not. Oh my god. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, we might have to have a blooper reel on that one. Yeah, I think it's good stuff. Oh my gosh. Okay. Thanks everybody for joining today on the Visibility Factor Podcast and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor Podcast. Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor Podcast.